really got to love what you do, like on a daily and not just a reputation, not your business card, not your salary, but really, you know, the sort of intrinsic side of that profession. I, I always ask people, if you were to go to that, you know, proverbial lonely island, would you take your profession with you? Hello everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This episode is sponsored by the University of Law. The University of Law offers a range of undergraduate and postgraduate courses and master's degrees alongside an award-winning pro bono clinic so you can build up your legal experience while studying. And their experienced career service will enable you to put your best foot forward when launching your legal career. The courses are employment focused and based on real legal practice so you'll be better prepared for the workplace. Part-time and online study options are available so you can work and study at the same time. Click the link in the description box of the podcast to find out more about the courses on offer. Hello everyone, welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast. My name is Stephanie, I'm a final year law student, future trainee solicitor and the host of today's episode. Joining me today is Mario Belti, corporate and M&A attorney who is from and works in Switzerland. In addition to being a highly experienced attorney, Mario is also a very successful hip-hop artist. And during the episode, we talk about his career journey, the biggest and most interesting mergers that he has worked on, and how his career as an attorney and music artist complement one another. Mario, welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast. It's just wonderful to have you here with us today. Thanks for having me. The pleasure, honestly, is all ours. And I just want to thank you for um, spending your morning with us. I know that you are super busy at the moment doing lots of M&A transactions. And we're going to hear um, more about that a little bit later on in the show. But why don't we kick off um, by what well, I'm going to kick off the show by asking you to introduce yourself and your career journey to date. All right. Happy to do that. Um. So as people could probably tell from my accent, I'm not exactly, you know, UK born and raised. Um, my name is Mario. I was born way too long ago in a beautiful country called Switzerland, um, which is also where I went to school and went to at least part of my, you know, time that I spent at university. Um, I did, funny enough, spend some time at a UK university also. But um, I basically uh, passed both my you know university degrees and also the bar exam later here in switzerland um i stayed at university for quite a while because in between you know my bachelor's degree and my master's degree which is what you both need in order to qualify as a lawyer um, or an actual attorney um in switzerland i did a phd which allowed me to spend more time at this beautiful sort of you know paradise like place called university where life doesn't you know yet fully kick in um and then i basically picked up work with you know a firm that's called homburger um it's basically your i don't know top five um you know big law equivalent um 
in Switzerland, um, although there's probably only about four of them here and they're smaller in size and usually they're not, you know, part of some sort of international actual network. They got, you know, best friends, law firms in other countries, but other than that, um, they're really on their own. And that's basically what I did from 2012 till 2020. And then I basically, you know, left the law firm and went, you know, into what you would call the industry. I work in the energy sector now, but essentially I'm doing the exact same thing. I always did corporate, I always did MA, I did restructuring. So it's really sort of your cliche of, you know, a business lawyer that I'm eagerly trying to fulfill every day. Do you know what? Your career journey is just, it sounds so fulfilling. You've done such, like you've done such a lot, studied in different places of the world. You must have so much life experience like behind your belt. Um, and when you're talking about the best friends, it's really nice to hear that coming from uh, an actual legal profession because um, I'm sure I can speak for other student lawyers, but when I was going through the process of doing um, practice case studies in advance of my training contract interview, a lot of them would throw out like, oh, the client is in Switzerland or places where the law firm doesn't have jurisdiction. And these terms would come about. But yeah, I've never actually heard it in context um, but by a legal profession. So it, it's really nice to hear these things um, in in real life. Um, you went to school in, well, when you mentioned that you studied in the UK for a little bit and um I must admit, I did some uh, research like, on your background and checked out on LinkedIn. And you went to Southampton, didn't you? That is correct. Yeah. For one but, single reason, though. Go on, tell me. Um, well, that was still, you know, that was before, obviously, way before Brexit and all of these things. Um, and it was part of an Erasmus program, um, which is basically, I don't know if you really, or if you're still familiar with that program, but it was basically some sort of exchange between European universities where you'd still pay your sort of fee back home, but you you were allowed to attend classes at, you know, a couple of universities, you know, on a list. Um, and I wanted to go to the UK. Um, and I think it was, I don't really remember the list, but I think it's it was Southampton, it was Durham and something else. And Southampton, that was just before Southampton got, I think, relegated for the last time. So they still had a premiership team. And, you know, football is life. So oh, yeah. that happened versus Southampton. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. For, for, for lack of alternatives, right? Yeah. I don't go to Southampton, um, but my sister had a friend that did. And um, I went there a couple of weekends to um, go out in the evening. And, yeah, I'm sure it has a good football team and good nightlife as well. So, yeah, um, highly recommend Southampton University. Well, yeah, I can definitely <laughs> say I enjoy my time. So you mentioned that you work predominantly in energy as well. What's that like? Well, and I mean... Like, is it really risen recently? Well, you know, I think... Whether it's risen is probably more like a question of the actual business case, right? I mean, economically speaking, definitely it's, you know, it's sort of on everyone's radar these days. Yeah. Work-wise, you know, for me, there's not a real difference, I think, um, you know, between now and maybe a year ago. Because, yeah. because 
mainly, I mean, you know, the decisions that my company takes and that I'm sort of executing on, they're driven by calls which are not made by me. So like, as an example, I had a, uh, I, by far the more intense um, M&A year last year before maybe, you know, the conflict in the Ukraine kicked off, et cetera. Um, and before energy, you know, became yet again, that big of a subject. Um, so M&A wise, last year was way more intense than this year, which could also come with the fact that, you know, prices for these decent targets may have risen a lot in the last, I don't know, 11 months. And it may be outside of, you know, what the people um, in my company, the powers that be are willing to pay these days because they feel like these are not the greatest opportunities or whatever. Um, but, you know, the the economic, like sort of global situation, um, you rarely ever, that's my experience anyway, you rarely ever really feel that in a law firm in the way that work ever stops. Yeah. It's a different type of work, right? Sure. Um, you know, in economic downturns, you may have different transactional setups or different, you know, transactional scenarios than in upturns. But per usual, as long as your firm is, you know, in a position where there's actual work to be done, there's always going to be enough work for people. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Well, thank you for um, explaining that. So why did you uh, choose to pursue a career in um, in law and more specifically corporate and M&A? Um, that's a, that, it's a great question because I think, you know, the French would probably say it was a faute de mieux type of career. I think I looked at a couple of options and I always did and still do have things which I'm trying to pursue and, you know, that, you know, residual spare time that I get. Um, and it just made a lot of sense because in law, I could probably combine most of these things most ideally. Um, obviously, this is hypothetical because I never, you know, pursued another career, so I can't really tell. But that was sort of our assessment back in the day. Um I still, you know, when I joined university, I think I still, I don't know, practice football like four or five times a week. Um, and that really, you know, I, I could still pursue that. Um, then, you know, some of the some of the other things that I engaged and engage in, they just sort of still were, you know, managed to remain on that radar while doing, you know, everything that was required for university. So I was not, you know, if you want to put it that way, I was not that kind of kid that at 12 years of age would tell um, his or her parents, I'm going to become a lawyer. And that was sort of, you know, nailed down. And I just basically, you know, followed through on that. But it was something that I got into almost step by step. Um, at university, I just figured, you know, um, obviously I attended all these classes because, you know, I was trying to be a, you know, decent young human being. Um, and, and business law just struck me as interesting. Um, but I think it could have also, I don't know, it could have also been criminal law. That struck me as interesting also. It's really just, you know, at some point that you kind of go what you got and then you never really look back. Yeah, that's interesting. I um, um, You, you do hear a lot of uh, these stories where people just kind of knew it was for them, started watching. I've heard a couple of times, actually, um, people who have gone into law have been inspired after watching 
you know, um, what are they called? Like dramas. <laughs> yeah, suits, exactly. But uh, perhaps Ali McBill, if they're a little bit older or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Highly rate Ali McBill. They, they, all, they always cut out the dull and boring hours at the library, though. I know, I know. Um, I do love that Meghan Markle used to strut around, though, in the Boutons and everything like that. So, um that is the glamorous side which i do hope exists um but yeah i think that a lot of people have quite an unconventional journey into law especially these days that um law firms are perhaps more open to people who have got other interests and and not um not perhaps I don't want to say narrow-minded because that's not what I mean, but have different experiences and then can talk, able to talk to clients about, you know, um, what they're interested in and about, you know, their business. Because um, I think that's all part of, you know, being the commercially aware lawyer that um, places are looking for. So, yeah, I do always, um, I, I do always try and stress that, you know, it's okay to go out and play football five times a week if you want to, because it's a great energy buster. And when you're when you're out meeting people, um, chatting to people, I just think you become a more well rounded person. Um, so yeah, love the unconventional way into law. So perhaps you could tell us about one of your most memorable deals that you've worked on and how you were involved in the matter. Well, okay. Um, let me try. I mean. The biggest in the sense of, you know, most notorious deal that I probably worked on was on the merger of two companies. One is called Holtzim, um, which is like the biggest cement and concrete producer in the world. And Lafarge, back, which back in that day was the same thing, a French company, and they were like the second biggest. So it was like a worldwide you know, like literal merger of two companies, um, which obvious, and both of them listed, one in Paris, one in Zurich. Um, and obviously that was a, you know, deal, which be it only for its dimensions, sort of struck me, you know, flabbergasted me just when I got put on it, like just by the sheer fact that at some point in my life, I got to work on, you know, that type of deal. Um, or a deal of that type or that size. Um, but I think, you know, materially, in a sense that content-wise, I think it's really hard to say these days what I did because I did a lot of things. I mean, at the end of the day, it was two regulated companies and their, you know, combination agreement was very standard because they're both listed. So there's not really too much, you know, of an angle by one towards the other or vice versa, because the information was out there. It was really the fact that they were going to merge. That was probably, you know, the secret that was at that time, you know, best be kept as close to, you know, the few people in the know as possible. But other than that, you know, from a deal perspective, and, you know, there, there was some securities laws were involved because I said, you know, there were two listed companies, one in a foreign, you know, from a Swiss perspective, foreign jurisdiction. So there was a lot of, you know, almost regulatory stuff that was involved. But um, I think deal wise or materially speaking, I probably worked on smaller, less known 
or less prominent deals that were more exciting from a work perspective. And right. I think that's also why I chose this one. I mean, this is one, you know, if you Google that, I think it was in 2014, that made headlines worldwide. It was one of the biggest deals at that time. But content-wise, work-wise, I probably, I don't know, bought, you know, a university, like a, a university spin-off startup in the name of Intel or whoever, um, which you know, I don't know, they maybe paid 1.5 million as opposed to what, you know, the total volume was in that merger deal. Um, mm. And it was work-wise probably more interesting. Yeah, yeah. So it all, all of this goes to say, you know, name dropping is one side of the coin, but the actual work on it is the other. I'd like to take a moment to speak about the University of Law, which is the university I decided to study my LPC at. The University of Law is the sponsor of this podcast and makes it possible for us to continue bringing these episodes to you. So we really appreciate you supporting us by supporting our sponsors. What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief in training students for the real world from the moment they accept a place. The University of Law's experienced career service and award-winning pro bono clinics offer students the chance to get real-life legal experience which can boost employability. They offer a range of undergraduate and postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students excel at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. If you'd like to find out more about the courses on offer, please click the link in the description box of the podcast. Like, so what kind of things do you really find interesting when you're when you're working on a case? Like, what, what is your, one of your favourite things to do? I think... Do, do you, like, trial through... I don't know um, if this is quite a, a junior thing to do, but is it, like, looking through the... Um, what do they call it? data room and stuff like that and, and finding and different documents like is that kind of like reviewing I mean, documents like that something that you enjoy doing i never i personally never enjoyed that never did um, i've never met anybody that has yeah but but i could tell you and i know it sounds sort of old but um i could tell you people who pursue that type of career they need it's adamant that they do spend some time doing that Not because, you know, you got to, I don't know, you know, work your ropes or whatever. It's not some old school, you know, career um, type of step, but it really helps you to understand what the actual questions are, which are being raised um, by clients. And I think that it's it's probably, you know, that is probably one of the most basic lessons um, to take away from all of, you know, the stories that, you know, people who've done that for a couple of times could tell you. Um, there's a lot of work that, you know, these days almost gets automated. Like, not I don't mean in a digital way, but like, you know, a lot of first year lawyers, they would, you know, um, work their way through data rooms, etc. Um, and they fill in some spreadsheet and whatnot, but they usually don't really know what they're doing. And I think the purpose behind all of this is you know what the company you may want to buy or the company you want to sell, what the contents of that company are, what the what the state that company is in is like. Um, so basically, you get to know your target or your new toy or whatever you want to call it. But it really does, you know, pursue a purpose. 
Mm. Um, I personally never liked that um, because as a lot of people probably do, I felt like this is really grunt work and I want to sort of, you know, be, I don't know, the, the last person in line, you know, sort of working on the finishing touches, but it just takes a while to get there. Um, I think personally what I like, and these days, honestly, it's not even, it's not even, you know, the legal matters per se that I like, I like strategy. Um, you know, how do you approach negotiations? How do you go into those? Where's your weaknesses, where your strengths is? Um, on one hand and on the other hand, I honestly, I really like connecting people. Like I could probably not, you know, be as happy with my career if I were a litigator, because it's more of a divergent type of, you know, legal practice. Like you fight. Honestly, in my work, I don't really want to fight. Like I want to fight for my point, but, um, you know, getting two parties to where they actually feel like this is mutually beneficial and they sign off on it and maybe there's some champagne involved that's probably more my side of things yeah yeah um and you also mentioned that you've been involved in restructuring cases as well so what kind of um what kind of work is involved in restructuring because i'm presuming there's not so much of a a looking for a database room because it's different kind of work well it, it could involve that i mean a lot of you know I mean, in in very abstract terms, a lot of, you know, company groups, they at some point choose, you know, some sort of setup or structure. And that may 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, not still be the right structure. So basically, it's it's corporate and M&A work, but more of an internal ma- uh, like nature. You just restructure the actual company group. And that also comes into play in situations of financial distress. Um, you know, when you need to let go of certain assets, you need to shut down certain businesses, et cetera. That's all what you would sort of call restructuring work. And right. yes, it involves sort of stuff, but at the end of the day, it all boils down to, you know, corporate and, and transactional work, really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that as well. Um, so what is it like to live and work in Switzerland as an attorney? Um, and what's your work-life balance like? I mean, life and work as an attorney in Switzerland, I mean, I could probably cut out, you know, the as an attorney part. A lot of people in Switzerland will tell you that it may not be the most exciting place on planet Earth to live in. Um Although nature is amazing. So, you know, whenever you can, I don't know, if you like hikes, this is the best place to be at. Um, and then obviously, um, you know, from a, and I, again, you know, this sounds dull, but from a sort of political, economic point of view, obviously there's few places where, you know, I don't know, your safety at 2 a.m. in the morning in the city is is as guaranteed, where, you know, um, your your salary is somewhat guaranteed, where, uh, you know, um. I don't know, your your retirement benefits, et cetera, all of that is probably really perfect, which also makes for an, an economic setup, which still to this day, I think thrives. Um, so, you know, we must do something right. But life as an attorney and as an attorney now, like really with a focus to that profession always comes with, I think, a an awful work-life balance. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> I mean, how do you... How do you handle that? Do you, do you try and integrate the, the both of them? Um, so how does it work? Do you still I mean, 
I, I th- honestly, I think there's there's probably two ways to go at this. A lot of people that I know, they really do nothing but work and they sort of manage to indulge in work so much um, that, you know, they don't really need anything else. I always personally find that hard to believe, but um, there may be people who really could turn this profession also into their hobby. And there's other people that just kind of go at it round the clock, right? I mean, you just... Um, you have to get used to, I don't know, you know, making dinner plans for 9.30 instead of 7.30. And it's not like every day, but um, it's just something, you know, if you want to manage to, at the same time, besides your profession, you know, enjoy, you just got to make time for it, I think. And yeah. obviously, I mean, time becomes somewhat scarce anyway. Um, Once you get older, once you work, especially in professions, you know, I mean, with legal people, it comes... It's it's a consequence of the system. I mean, we 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 technically we bill hours. So the more hours we work, the more hours we bill. Yeah. Um, so there's you know economic incentive um, for law firms to um, like in having their people work long hours, which I think personally is not the best thing. It'd be great if at some point you know law firms manage to actually you know put price tags on products rather than hours, but um. I think it's there's still some way to go to we're there. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so can you please talk to us about your endeavors as a hip hop artist? Well, not my endeavors. I mean, it's it's just it's it's something that I've always, you know, and it probably played into that decision back in the day of you know pursuing a career in law also. Um, it's just something that I did for years. I mean, I don't know. Don't ask me how, you know, some middle class white kid from Switzerland ever got in touch with that type of culture. But that was like 30 years ago or so. Um, and I've always been like an avid fan and then worked um, in hip hop as a journalist for a U.S. based magazine for quite a while. And then at some point, really, um. I just figured, you know, there's people that do that in this sort of, you know, odd, weird language that is Swiss German. So why not, you know, try that yourself? And, you know, same thing. I never look back. It's just, um, you know, from a professional perspective, it's probably also some sort of hobby only with me, at least at some points it, you know, it, um, it reached a certain size. So that career became, I don't know, half prominent or like as, you know, uh, that made a couple headlines, um, which then automatically plays into your professional life because, you know, people read papers. Yeah. Um, and and I'm, I'm sure you're going to ask me whether I profited from that. Um, I have, but also it's been a disadvantage. It's probably both. I mean, for me, obviously, presentations or, I don't know, oral expression in general is something that I do in both. Um, I know how to, or I think I know, um, how to, you know, handle stages in both worlds, um, which is obviously helpful. And I think I can be quite um, poignant in the sense that, you know, I really emotionally try and get my point across and hopefully manage to do that, which could also be a disadvantage as a lawyer because you're sort of an advisor. Um you fight for what your client wants. You don't persuade and convince your clients all the time. It's it's sort of a mixed bag, I think. Um, but you know, and 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 as said, you know, at some point this shows up in like, you know, 
your next employer's HR's research. Um, and obviously it's kind of people's call whether they like that in general, because as you said before, you know, it's 2022, they maybe want to have, you know, a more diverse set of employees than, I don't know, 20 years ago. Um, or if they don't like that, because I don't know, um, um, something you do that gets you and that automatically comes with a certain level of exposure, um, which might, which may not be to everyone's liking because generally and outside of, you know, the TV shows that you mentioned, um, lawyers tend to be quite, you know, discreet. I think it really depends on, I suppose, the type of clients that you work for, which, you know, sectors you operate in. From from what I've seen from law firms in the UK anyway, they do encourage uh, people with other interests. But yeah, you are right. Like, I'm sure that it has profited you in many ways in terms of, you know, presentation and understand and knowing how to use words to get your point across. But and you talked about um, giving your input in, you know, lawyers are advisors, eventually advisor clients and what they want to do. But surely they, as you know, a lawyer, a trusted advisor, and you know, knowing the law and being commercially aware, we do have some kind of responsibility to perhaps give a little bit of input in. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's probably not really about, or like the point I was trying to make is not really about. Obviously, we got to guide them. Um, it's part of our job. Um, I think the the sheer fact that you know this is something that you know shows up or that people or your clients know about you has a certain impact on how they view you. Because it's funny, I always felt like to this day, I never understood how people could you know differentiate that heavily between say. And again, I'm just using technical terms between a somewhat artsy, um, you know, spare time activity. And I don't know, you name it, golf, tennis. Yeah. Because it's just people that spend time doing something, um, be that, you know, activity A or activity B. But I could definitely tell that, you know, music, I mean, funny enough, as said, you know, I played football on a decently high level. But it never raised any eyebrows. It was just, you know, he he's engaged in sports, whatever. But music always raised eyebrows. More often than not, it was positive. But um, it always was a sort of, you know, item or like a subject that I would talk to people about or have to talk to people about. Yeah, I explain. Sure, yeah. I understand. So I've spoken to um, other entre- successful entrepreneurs um in the past who have studied law so they've made the switch from law to um an other career and they've said although they never qualified as a lawyer just by doing the llb at university they said that they were really um able to understand that you know words mean so many different things to so many different people they will able to be very concise and they were able to write like a really good email and understand contracts when they were presented to them in the workplace and so I just wondered if uh, your career in law really added to your success as an artist when it comes to I suppose um, the business side of things yeah I mean yes it yes it has um it definitely has um funny enough um when I you know, I did like a third leg 
a third university leg in the US. Um, and since that was sort of late, I also, you know, had the, the liberty or took the liberty to engage in subjects which were directly entertainment related. So like, even though, you know, my regular career is in M&A, et cetera, I studied, you know, music industry law, entertainment law, all of these things. So in that way, I definitely profited from, you know, my profession, although it was university, but still it's obviously linked to that profession. Um, and besides that, I think there's a lot that comes with, you know, for lack of a better term, I think it's not even a legal thing, but it's corporate education. As you just said, you know, I just don't go about projects in a random way. Like I have a certain, an almost automatic, you know, way to put stuff in bullets, in pros and cons lists, in enumerations, in just like in presentable format and manner. Um, and I think that really helps in, you know, sort of tying things together. So be it only for that. Yes, it helped. Excellent. That's really good to know. Other than that, I don't know. I don't. I don't usually, you know, write lyrics about tort law. But other, but, but um, but um, yeah. There's still time. There's still time. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe I don't know. No, no. Maybe you Third can record. <laughs> maybe when the student lawyer podcast gets a um, a revamp, you could perhaps do our uh, our intro music. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I could do that. Try and do that. <laughs> So what piece of advice would you give to your younger self? Oof. Um, just, you know, just with a view to law or generally? Let's go with general. Okay. I think, but that's what all people, you know, at a certain age will tell you. I think, you know, looking back and I don't have, you know, any regrets. Um, I think I would still tell myself to go with my gut more often. Um, just, and I, I understand it's a very, you know, general sort of Instagram motivational quote type of thing to say, but um, I think that's really, really important because I think what I found out, and I was lucky enough, you know, I, I told you how I sort of got into law step-by-step, step, not as, you know, a once in initial decision and I just stopped by it, but like I fell into the subject and then sort of fell in love with it, you know, step by step. And I was lucky enough that that sort of played out the way it did. And, you know, the initial kind of action pan out in the sense that I'm still there and I'm still doing that. And I still like doing that. But I think a lot of people don't have the luxury of things sort of falling into place. Um, and, you know, the legal profession, and that's just my view, um, is something you really, really ought to like a lot, like to a high degree, in order for you to be happy in it and to be able to, I don't know, exercise it and, you know, work in it for, I don't know, the coming 30, 35 years or whatever it is, right? Um, there's just no, and, and I can see that with my old firm, like even, you know, partners, distinct partners, they still get into that sort of, you know, I mean, today is actually a good example. It's like um, November 3rd, it's, um, you know, Thursday, it's grayish outside, definite, definitely autumn. Um, it's not exactly a motivating day. Um, and these people, no matter how old and how successful they are, they still got to find the energy to walk into their offices at 8 or 8.30. And they 
you know, have to review some sort of contract draft that some junior lawyer did, even though they did that for the last 25 years. So you really got to, you know, love what you do, like on a daily and not just the reputation, not your business card, not your salary, but really, you know, the sort of intrinsic side of that profession. I, I always ask people, if you were to go to that, you know, proverbial lonely island, would you take your profession with you? And ideally, I know I understand this is utopic, but like ideally, yes, because this profession doesn't stop. There's a lot of work hours involved. Um, your family is going to suffer, definitely, because other people spend more time with friends and family and, and their loved ones. It's absolutely clear. Um, so you really, you really ought to love what you do in order for you to actually be and remain happy in that profession. Which, which, which was a very, very long answer to a just follow your gut type of short version. <laughs> Absolutely was not too long. And I, it, you know, everything that you've just said really hit home. And you do hear about, you know, people um, going into the career and chasing these things that, you know, they think they should be liking. But um, I don't think that's sustainable. And I think that the way that you explained it and how to go out there and really get a fulfilling career. Um, you just summarized it perfectly. So thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking to us about your career journey and your career and um, and your career as a hip hop artist as well, because it's very interesting. And I'm going to um, put links to videos where people can check you out in the show notes. Uh, and don't, perhaps- don't, take, don't take videos to like 10 years old, just, I don't know, use a Spotify link or whatever. <laughs> okay, I'll do that. Hopefully, um, hopefully international streams wouldn't hurt, I think. Excellent. Are you, gonna, are you excited for the World Cup? This, um, this It's starting this month, isn't it? Yeah, it's starting in like three weeks. Yes, I mean, look, you know how, you know, I hope I'm an empathetic person and obviously Qatar and everything that comes with Qatar um, is, you know, far from, you know, being the place where I would want a World Cup to take place at. Yeah. Um, no question about that. Yeah. To be honest, I'm just too much of a fan of the sport. Like there's, um, I'd be lying to you and everyone else if I told you I'm boycotting this thing. Um, boycotting this thing just means I'm not going there. It means I've watched the games on, on television, yeah. but there's absolutely no way. I mean, I know it's just, and it only takes place every four years. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's probably the wrong attitude to be having, but then again, you know, um, I think um, that ship, not with me, but with the event as such has sailed a couple of years ago. Let's just hope the next one is in a better place. I agree. I agree. Anyway, thank you so much for your time and thank you for everybody for tuning into another episode of The Student Lawyer and we will see you back again here next time. To hear more of The Student Lawyer's podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join The Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com.